So, again, um, this morning's discussion question, what about toxic mother-daughter relationships? My special guest for the first hour is one of our Queens of Intellect members, Alisa Ward. She's an emotional intelligence coach. Alisa, thank you for rocking with me. Stay, thank you for staying on as I was trying to bet that. So it's uh, been a rough morning to get this thing started. But with that said, Queen, thank you for being with us. Say hello to the truth seekers and give a little bit of your background as we get started with this morning's discussion question. Good morning, Montoya. No problem. I'm so glad to be here today and be able to talk to your audience once again. As you mentioned, I am an emotional intelligence um, coach, practitioner, and assessor, as well as uh, diversity, equity, inclusion professional. So uh, what I basically do is teach people to be smarter with their emotions because emotions drive people and people drive performance. So how do we perform? How do we show up? How do we live our lives? We increase our emotional intelligence. Nah, I love it. I love it. And, again, just to get right into it again because we've lost 10 minutes from the technical difficulties this morning, we're going to jump right into this morning's discussion, what about the toxic mother-daughter relationship. And what I'm going to do, as always, I play cuts, um, and we want to kind of bounce off the cuts to get into this morning's discussion. So I'm going to jump right into a specific cut, and we'll use that to kick us off. I'll open up the phone lines after we get started with it again. Just and thank everybody. I see some people out there on the line with us, so stay. thank you for bearing with us this morning. But let's go ahead and play this cut and get started on this morning's discussion. What about the toxic mother-daughter relationship? Well, my question for mothers is, what is the purpose of raising your daughters but loving your sons? And what I mean by that is, with sons, you're more delicate, you're more nurturing, you're more patient, you're more kind um, and compassionate towards, but your daughters, you have very little patience for. She has to be on top of everything. Um, she has to care for the brother who you would probably let sit there and not take out the trash, but force her to take out the trash. What does it benefit you to raise your daughters with a loveless energy, the lack of nurturing, very critical, constantly hard on your daughter, and expect her to come up and be very uh, nurturing, loving, kind, and a thriving young lady. But because of your hardness and your persistent criticism and, and, and tough nature with your daughter, she probably is very successful. She probably is a, a thriving, goal-oriented, bad mama jamma. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with my special guest, um, typically co-host, but she's actually the special guest this morning, Elisa Ward. She's an emotional intelligence coach. As we get into this morning's discussion, what about the toxic mother-daughter relationship? So, Elisa, I'll just kind of let you kick off hearing that cut uh, in reference to something that, unfortunately, I think quite often happens um, I would say a little too much in the community, you know, just from my, my viewpoint, if you will. Um, but what are your thoughts as you hear um, that, that that young lady kind of lay out as she say, what is the purpose of raising your daughters and loving your sons? Which, again, I've even written a piece about that, but your thoughts, Queen? Wow, I love that piece right there. Um, I have um, – I'll start off with two words that I think that are attached to that. And then I'll expand. Um, generational trauma, that's, that's what I hear um, in those types of situations is generational trauma. And, and, and what I mean by that is 
certainly, um, you know, we many people seem to think that they treat their kids equally, but you can't treat your kids equally, but you can love them enough. You can love them enormous, enormously. You can be compassionate to them. You can listen to them. Um, and why I say you don't love them equally, um, it, it, it's more about an equitable situation, right? So equal says, I'm giving you 30, 30, 30, 30. But the thing of it is, depending on each child, that child might need a little more than 30. There might be different shifts in their life. So we have to, like, not look at them as just people that are just in this, this one bucket and, and to look at them as individuals. Like, we want to be looked at as individuals. And oftentimes, um, you know, if you, if you think about it, we're not too far out generationally from uh, the women's suffrage movement, which was, you know, where white women had the opportunity to be able to start getting their voices heard and to be able to um, – you know, actually stand up for themselves. And, of course, that didn't apply to women of color, so it was way after that time period that we were able to have our voices heard and even to begin to start working and even getting the rights to vote. So with that, you have people that are still here on this earth that are in a generation that was in transition. So they had, they were given this this mindset, I've got to be mom, I've got to be wife, I've got to be mate, but um, but I have to work and I have to do all these things. So they didn't really get an opportunity to just be and figure out who they were. So a lot of times there's damage that comes from there that actually is passed down to the next generation. And it's not intentional. It's just that they don't know what they don't know. And we all have a different capacity and we also have different coping skills. Um, and I can honestly say that I'm very grateful that in my family, we have broken the generational curse um, of that generational trauma because I have an excellent relationship with my daughter. Uh, she's not here today because we got our boosters yesterday, so she's not feeling well. Um, but, uh, but, you know, she'll tell you that we, we have a mutual respect for one another. And if something's not right, if I say something that's right or if I do something that makes her feel some kind of way or, you know, if, if it's even related to her brothers and treatment of her, then we have that conversation about that. And I think that's where a lot of that really starts is that you got to have some conversations that sometimes hurt, but you got to listen if you want to make a change. Nah, I love hearing, you know, as you say, the fact that you've been, as you say, broken that generational curse, and I like that term, generational trauma. So when I hear that cut, and again, I've written a piece, you know, about that specific thing, and I was, I geared it more towards uh, the results of loving your son and what it meant for the boy, if you will. So that's kind of where my piece geared. But when I hear that cut, here's what crosses my mind. I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that, and we'll get the phone lines open after this. Um, so what crosses my mind is um, I I'm, I consider myself, in a sense, in that hip-hop generation. And I liken, in a sense, that our generation, in a sense, technically, technically became the first, quote-unquote, fatherless generation. And what I simply mean by that is, um, you know, you always hear that number of, you know, 72, 73% of children born out of wedlock, you hear that number quite often. And so, we're, in a sense, we're the first generation when, when that number, in a sense, surpassed 50, 50%, if you will. So prior to our generation, over half of, in a sense, black children were born with their parents, quote, unquote, married, if you will. And so I'm highlighting that context because what I, what I, when I hear that cut, this is what I think it means in the current generations because now we're – 40, 50, 60, 70 years into this, in a sense, cycle where, in a sense, children are not necessarily being born, you know, 
to two parents, you know, being married and living together, if you will, right? And so when I hear that cut and think of it from a generational standpoint, what crosses my mind for a lot of sisters is um, when she said, why do you raise your daughters and love your sons? The why for me, for this generation growing up with, you know, a lot of friends who had children when they were young and things of that nature, for this generation, the why, I always equated the why to the what I consider the unfortunate reality that a lot of sisters and mothers understand when it comes to their daughters is unfortunate strong possibility that she may grow up to repeat the cycle, unfortunately, of possibly having children and subconsciously the thought that the father may may or may not be there. Obviously, for most parents, in the event that they're, you know, for most parents, if their children are going to have, you know, going to have them grandkids, I think ideally every parent thinks I would like for my child to be married. I think subconsciously we've gotten into this cycle for so long that um, part of the movement and that you're talking about, and, and as you said, African-American women being, in a sense, late to even having those opportunities, I think to a degree have basically gotten into a cycle where she just feels like she has to prepare her, her daughter even more and even more if she in fact is in that cycle where she's having to do everything. I think mothers who have to do everything try to prepare, in a sense over prepare their daughters in the event that their daughter has to repeat the cycle. Again, that's just a deep thought that I feel like I have about it and why you see the tr- the generational trauma exists, especially for mothers who have gotten into that cycle. Um, your thoughts, Queen, and then we'll open up the phone lines. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that. Several years ago, I got involved with an organization that was out of, like, South Carolina or something like that, and it was a father's organization because I used to actually write for a men's publication uh, at one time. And I remember um, this gentleman saying to me, we were talking about parenting, and, you know, we were having a conversation around what happens, like, to your point of, of, of how parents raise their children. And, you know, when I said to him at the time, I said, it's really interesting to me that, you know, fathers prepare their sons for the world. Um, while mothers want to protect their sons from the world. Uh, and, and, and if you do it on the flip side, um, it's the same thing when a father is healthily involved in the relationship with the family, right? Not just involved, but healthily involved. He wants to protect his daughter where the mother subsequently wants to prepare her for the world. So I think that some of this is based on tradition, traditional gender roles and what we feel the expectations are uh, in the world in which we live. But I don't want to dismiss and say that there aren't people that have these good relationships because if you look out there, studies will tell you that, you know, 60% of women say they actually have a good relationship with their mother. And during the pandemic, um, all the studies have shown that the mother-daughter relationship has improved the most out of all of the, the family relationships during the pandemic because the mother-daughter relationship, um, there, there's that nurturing and there's that bond and there's that empathy that comes into place. So depending on what your relationship was with your mother, then you have an opportunity uh, to be able to make it different with your own daughter. So, you know, there are different relationships, judgmental uh, relationships with your kids. There are role reversal relationships. There's, uh, you know, all kinds of different types of relationships, and it all comes down to attachment issues that people have. 
So if your attachment issues are not healthy, then subsequently you cannot then provide that same level of healthiness to, to your kids. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really a lot of it is about perspective. Unfortunately, we have so many homes where we don't have the healthy father relationship that we're seeing, um, that we would like to see, that we're not noticing that that same protect, um, prepare is on the flip side for the father when it comes to the kids. Because sometimes people say, well, why is the father so hard on the son, but he's so nice to the daughter, right? But if you have all these single-parent homes, then we're seeing that one side of it because the balance is not there. No, absolutely. And I'll be honest, like, it's it's good to hear as you say that there's studies showing that the pandemic improved some of those mother-daughter relationships. But I have to be honest, uh, while I like that, the majority of women based on, the, you know, again, I know that's maybe one study and obviously, it's not, you know, no study covers all, but just, you know, studies typically give give you an idea of trends. So while it's good to hear that more mothers have that, mother-daughters have that relationship, I don't hear 60% as a good issue. I feel like if 40% don't, that's all the more reason, in a sense, to have this discussion. And, and, and it's not that I've ever thought that the majority of mother-daughters didn't have a great relationships, uh, but I, we def, in my opinion, to be moving in the right direction, that, that that has to increase. And then specifically within our, again, I think there's a lot to the cut for why mothers raise their daughter. And in my mind, it's subconsciously that they're preparing her. And even if the cut said, some of those women, like they look very successful and they're doing their thing. But she also said, but there's this hardness. There's no, there's raised without mm-hmm. the nurturing. And I hear women talk about that, that the mother failed to nurture them. And, and so there's, like you said, there's balance being missed when you're getting one side of the coin. And even in her preparing her daughter to be the best that she can be, sometimes mothers can miss out on being nurturing, which is a critical part to all your children, both boy and girl. And what we talk about as men, when I wrote my piece, is how over-nurturing harms uh, harms the son, which is basically what you're saying, you know, when you say that, pre- mm-hmm. I, I like that, that prepare. I think I forgot what you said, prepare and, what was it, prepare and? What the, you, men typically you, you say it, uh, the, like the balance prepare their sons, yeah they prepare their sons for the world um and 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 mothers protect them from the world and then it's the yeah, same on it's, it's it's like. yeah. yeah yeah that was the word I was looking for for the callers out there you do have to press one because we definitely want to get your three cents on this morning's discussion and give us your thoughts as we're in this segment right now in a sense why are mothers raising their daughters and not their sons and what aspects can come from that? So, like, Lisa, when you think about that, um, what, what, because you've done work in this area, you talked about even, uh, I think, doing a clubhouse where you had this very discussion, if you will. So, what things have you seen specifically in reference to a mother who's trying to do her best, who is doing her best, but she's maybe missing the nurturing because she's on top of her daughter, being critical, getting her daughter on point, but that daughter's missing that bond. What have you seen or heard um, just from some of the work that you've done? Well, one of the things that's really important is that, you know, we as black women, you know, brown women, we have the the superhero case, you know, right? The whole 
what we call it sometimes Captain Saberhold syndrome, where we got to save the whole world. And of course, we know that that comes historically from saving other family uh, when people were kind of pulled away from the family and things like that. So in doing so, people were never taught to be transparent and to be authentic. And vulnerability has always been seen as a weakness, whether you're a male or a female or however you identify. So as you're trying to navigate this world that can sometimes be so harsh on people, you know, you've got to go into the workplace and you've got to be everything there and compete with everybody. And then when you come home, you've got to be everything. So being able to take that downtime to show that, that vulnerability, it's just not a luxury that many people think that they can afford. And that's where the real ticket is to changing the trajectory of the relationship because your daughter needs to see you as a human and you got to see her as one as well. You can't just see her as a mirror image of you because when you look in the mirror, and this is all of us, right? We look in the mirror and what do we do? We see some good attributes about ourselves, but we do something like, oh, man, my tooth is not is crooked. Oh, wait a minute. You know, for a dude, it's like, oh, my, you know what I need? To, my mustache is crooked. You know, hold on, my eyebrows are not right. So when we look in the mirror, we start to criticize what we see in the mirror. So when we see our kids, if we see them in that mirror, then what happens? Then the criticism begins to come. And we've got to learn to be able to take that moment and step back. A lot of times people don't have the luxury of having the time to take the pause because they're in survival mode. But we've got to do better. We've got to do something different than that because we have to realize you're not raising children. You're raising adults. And how are these people going to show up in the world? They're going to show up in the world based on what they learned in their family of origin. And we've got to be able to be vulnerable. But one, uh, and as far as studies are concerned, there were multiple studies about this with these numbers. But at the same time, you know, again, there is, you know, we look at our community and we say, okay, well, what about us, right? Is it the same with us? But more women tend to have better relationships with their mothers once they get into their late 30s and 40s. And that's because, to be quite honest with you, that's when life kicks you in the ass. Right, and you start to see, oh, hold up a second, my mom is human. Now, even if she didn't tell you some stuff, she's human, and you get, begin to see the human side, and you begin to get that connection there. But if mothers were able to be, you know, show that human side earlier, then from what I've seen, it helps to make that bond better in the relationship. My daughter knows a lot of stuff that I've been through, age appropriate, of course, and within boundaries. But she knows a lot of things that I've been through because I need her to see me cry instead of me being just superwoman because if she does not, she'll grow up and try to be superwoman and she will, she might break. And I don't want that for her. So let me ask you about that specifically because you mentioned at the very beginning you feel like in your family, based on your relationship with your daughter, you broke the curse. Um, did, do you feel like that started with you? And if it did, um, what type of things did you, in a sense, have to break? In, in other words, what was the generational stuff plaguing, in a sense, within your family that you're willing to, in a sense, bring to the table and speak about? And specifically, how did you start to decide, okay, this wasn't good? You figure out this wasn't good. I'm not going to do that with my daughter. How did you even figure that out? Because a lot of people may be in that same space, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So when I grew up, you know, hey, listen, my mom did what my mom did based on what she knew or what her capacity was at the time. Um, however, much of the relationship with my mother 
uh, and even with my siblings, I ended up being more of the matriarch of the family, like overseeing my siblings, right, even the older ones, kind of looking after them. Even when my sister, you know, started becoming of age and things started changing in her body, it was my responsibility to have that conversation with her. So there was a role reversal type of situation there. And then subsequently that later on became something that, you know, my mom actually, you know, she resented that. You know, well, you think you're their mother and this, that, and the other. I never asked to be put in that position of the matriarch. However, it was something that happened based on just, you know, what life gave me at the time. But I remember growing up, and I always wondered if my mom loved me because my mom just was not very good at being able to say that. And so I remember thinking to myself that when I have children, I never want them to ever have to wonder if I love them. I want them to know it, and I want my love to be unconditional because oftentimes, based on hurts and things that people have experienced, they they grow up with limits when it comes to love, and they don't understand that love is infinite. You can always make more. So sometimes you'll have parents that will have a situation where, well, if you love your stepmom or if you love your daddy, you don't love me, and it has nothing to do with that. So I wanted to make sure that I was able to show that my kids that the more love they can, they can get, the more love that they could have, the better off they would be in life. I literally took a situation where I felt a certain way and made a decision. Now, did it take me a long time to figure that out? It did. And my daughter was the last one. So when she came, it was like, listen, you better woman up and get yourself together and figure this out because you are raising a woman. You are not raising a child. You're parenting a child, but you are raising a woman. So if you want to do that, she needs to be able to be whole and healthy and feel loved. So I had to make decisions that required therapy for myself, that required um, me looking at the relationship with my mother and being very honest and transparent and actually taking the time to see my mother as a human, to see the journey that she'd been through, to see the things that had happened to her that she tried to shelter me from. She didn't want to tell us stuff because she wanted to shelter us from that. Our parents do the struggle for us, so hopefully we don't have to struggle as much in the next generation for most people. But the thing is, when you don't share any of that struggle, kids just don't know what's happening. And they can, they can interpret it differently because cognitively our brains aren't developed to understand what's happening. So you got to be happy. No, that makes a lot of sense. No. Now, that makes a lot of sense. We're actually up against the break, and so we'll continue this conversation out of the break. For everybody on the line, if you want to get in on this morning's discussion, please press 1 to let us know you want to speak. If you're listening online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 646- Seven eight seven one six nine one. You have to press one to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. But well, all I ask is that you think. Are you intimidated by money? Why well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Monday, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach. Ashley Thomas, and psychotherapist, Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. My mom's first relationship was with my sister's dad. And I was led to believe that he was my father. Mm. And he was, in my eyes, until 
um, he moved away. And when that happened, I no longer had a father figure in my life. And what was the heartbreak then? Um, not having daddy to come home to. Yeah, that's hard for any little girl. At the age of 33, Kim says she still has no idea who her real father is. Okay, and then what happened? Then she meets another man. New man. New man. At that point, I started seeing the separation from her being a mother to her being focused on men. Okay. New man. What happened? He would beat me. Mm -hmm. He would tell her to beat beat me. Wait a minute. Hold up. Hold the phone, Jesus. (laughs) You're telling me that your mother brought a man into your home who would tell her to beat you. And she would do it. She would do it. Give me a pen. What did that feel like? It was the most devastating feeling I ever experienced in my life. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest, Elisa Word, emotional intelligence coach. This morning's discussion question, what about a toxic mother-daughter relationship? As we listen to a cut from Yana Van Zant's Fix My Life, uh, this is a cut I found in reference to this morning's discussion, and I think it brings up something that quite often is the case. Uh, unfortunately, that was definitely an extreme where this lady talks about um, her mother, in a sense, putting the man first and then went as far as to allow him to abuse abuse their, you know, abuse her, if you will, the daughter. Um, so that's definitely an extreme that I've heard of, um, you know, unfortunately before. But before we even get to the abuse, if we will, Elisa, uh, unfortunately the putting the man first in those type of scenarios, I've heard that for a long time throughout my life. And, again, I know you've done dialogues with this very thing. So um, if we could just kind of dig into that, because I assume that is unfortunately an experience that, you know, daughters and sons can experience to a degree, but obviously we're talking about it from the daughter's aspect and, you know, that experience and what it may mean for the daughter when she goes through her and comes of age and gets into her relationship. So any dialogue specifically about that area, Queen? Absolutely, yeah. That that happens a whole lot, a whole, whole lot, and it's so heartbreaking when um, you see it and you hear it. I've seen it. Uh, with people in my own family where, you know, every time you turn around, you know, there's a different person and the kids seem to be important in between people, but when the people get there, then suddenly there, there's, a, there's a backseat that's taken. And, you know, just from the work that I've done, you know, with trauma and things like that, I look at it also from the perspective of there was a time when, unfortunately, women were just seen as sexual objects, right, and, and, and people to take care of a house, and, and, and that was it. That was the role. So when you become, um, when you have that objectification of women in that space, and generationally, you've not healed that, and you've not changed that. Then, then sub, subconsciously, in the back of your mind, is I have to please this man in order for me to get love. You know that that I have to give something in order for this person to give me something that should be naturally given to me, um, because I am worthy of love and value. And um, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. A lot of times, people don't have the awareness 
of such. They think, well, I, I want to be happy too. I want to, you know, and my and my kids don't want me happy or, or, you know, I should be able to do this, that, and the other. And you're right. You should be able to be happy in a relationship, in a healthy relationship. But if you're in a situation where this is happening to your children, and you're okay with that, not only are you not in a healthy relationship, you're not in a healthy headspace for yourself because that's not healthy. That's not, uh, we can say normal, abnormal, we can say whatever we want. That's not healthy. And then subsequently the, the young lady, she grows up to believe, you know, there's, there's a couple of different scenarios that can happen here. She can end up hating men simply because of what she, she can end up hating herself because of what she experienced. She can also end up becoming an abuser of men herself because those exist as well, taking people's money, you know, always, you know, let me be with this guy so I can get his paper. Let me do this. Um, you know, even, you know, sometimes it can create anger issues. We're seeing a lot of that in our in our younger people, you know, where the the roles have been reversed from a domestic violence um, or what we call it interpersonal violence um, standpoint nowadays, where you're seeing sometimes there is a situation where a young lady is so violent towards the male, but he doesn't want to get locked up, so he won't hit her back. But then it's this toxic relationship because they're, they've now trauma bonded. Um, so there are a lot of things that can happen from that, and you gotta you gotta really be honest with yourself. And sometimes, Montoya, to be honest with you, the reason some people don't address the issues they have is because by actually doing that, they relive it in their head, and it activates the same pain center in the brain where you, when, when you have physical pain. So for some people, it's it's that deep. Now that makes sense. I mean, and the one thing um, that you mentioned that I know I've heard in my lifetime, just you know, like for example, growing up in the South, and I would hear this from time to time. Um, you know, lucky I never heard my mother, in a sense, say this, but I've heard this uh, too many times. I'm not going to try to, but definitely heard this comment too many times. You kind of repeating something that you said, and it's just highlighting. Uh, me now understanding, in a sense, what that mother is saying. I've heard. From time to time, various mothers in my lifetime make that comment when when the situation seems to be volatile between her and and her daughter or daughters, whatever the case may be. And those kids actually say something or mention the idea, or she or the mother actually mentions the idea of they don't want me to be happy, and she's holding on to that with a lot of strength. They're typically, unfortunately, unaware of how she how she dismissed them. And like you said, she chases that relationship with that man in that situation in an unhealthy manner to the degree that she's very unaware of how her kids felt being in a treated second, but she stands on it, double downs on it, and will say when there's a dialogue about, you know, maybe maybe the kids get dressed, mother, you did that, or mother, you made me feel this way. And her response, instead of hearing what they actually felt or experienced, well, I've seen it be, y'all just don't want me to be happy. And and so now we're getting into that, you know, the, the mother who won't accept the results of what she did and how that affects the daughters even into adulthood. So any thoughts on that, Queen? Well, a lot of times, you know, there there are people who won't accept it and there are other people who can't accept it because we have to understand this, this concept of capacity. We all have the capacity to be able to tolerate certain things at different levels. And unfortunately for some people, when they say things like that, when they do things like that, what I hear is, 
there is some part of their life that they feel that that got cut short, interrupted, or somehow messed up because of the fact that they had a child. So instead of understanding the responsibilities of parenthood, because when you become a parent, this is the way, now one thing I will say, my mom, even though there were some issues there, there were some really good things that came from that. And it was when you have a child, you become a parent, and that's your responsibility, and you need to pay attention to them and make them a priority, right? So I would always hear that. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I don't want any kids because I'm selfish. Like, I didn't want any. I want to go buy Louis Vuitton pocketbooks and travel and do all this kind of stuff. So I didn't want any kids. But I got married younger. I got married, um, and, and so we were, uh, I was 19 when I got married the first time. And uh, so by the time I'm 21, you know, my, I mean, my ex-husband's like, yeah, I want, you know, let's have a kid. And I'm like, you are tripping because I need a pocketbook. Like, I mean, I'm not going to do this because I realize what I have to dedicate to my child, and I'm not ready to do that. But if we're not having those conversations with people, sometimes they don't understand that because once that child comes, that's it. So when you hear them saying things like, y'all don't want me to be happy, it's because I don't know how to balance what I feel I lost with what I now have gained by becoming a parent. I don't know how to balance that. So at that point, that is when somebody's got to say, I got to find somebody to help me with this. But stigma in our community says therapy's for crazy people. It's not for people who want to work on some stuff that they just need to work on. And even for myself, I'm not a therapist, but even in my coaching, I'm a certified trauma support specialist. So when I'm coaching people, I'm listening for trauma. I'm hearing trauma. And I refer out when I need to. But we've got to address the issue. And you're going to get old one day. And do you want to be the old person without your kids? Or do you want to be the person who said, you know what, i got to do the work? So the work might start with you. And then you may involve the kids to try to make it better. But you got to start somewhere. And for those who are adults who've had this issue, once you get of age, I mean, you can't control how your parents act. So when you get of age and you can make decisions for yourself, you have to do the work for you. And your parents may never change. I don't know if they will. But you have the opportunity to be different and take your power. Take your power back. Now, I love what you're saying right there. The unfortunate reality is the pain that you unfortunately can receive in that scenario that we're laying out, right? The pain of what, in a sense, the mother may be putting the man first or, as you said, even as you get older and try to address it. And, as you said, even having the inability to address it, like you may be getting old enough and you want to confront your mother to resolve it because it's a pain that you feel, but then even trying to have the dialogue as, a, as you know, as an adult daughter to your mother, and she's just incapable of listening to it, like for some of the various reasons that you mentioned. And so a lot of unfortunate young adults that are having that experience will harbor it and feel like, well, I can't get past this because my mother's never dealt with it. And tell me this, we've got about a minute and a half before we go to break. Um, that stuff manifests to where you have an issue inside of your own relationship because of, in a sense, the love or nurturing that you did not receive and unfortunately plays out. And some people do become aware of it. They are aware of, I'm having trouble in my own relationships, and they unfortunately, naturally, I think, resort back to what they didn't receive in childhood. I think that's a very natural thing. 
And, you know, what does that kind of help look like if you can't get closure with your mother? And I would obviously mentioned therapy, but just maybe make that, like I said, about a minute before a break and um, just start into that quick thought into what does it look like if you can't get closure from your mother? When you can't get closure from your mother, um, it can be really difficult. I, I'll, I'll be on a better recent situation with my mom. Something happened about a year or so ago, you know, Christmas, and it was not fun. Um, and I said I wouldn't stay at my mom's house ever again. And recently my mom said, mm. I didn't know how to approach this. But um, I, I'm just going to ask you because I didn't know what to say. And I'm like, what? And so she asked me if I wanted to come home for Christmas. At that point I had a choice. I could either push it to make my mom apologize or I could accept that that was her version of an apology because just like I have to do the work, she's got to do the work, and she was trying to do the work. Sometimes our expectations of ourselves and of others are so much that we got to do You might not fully get closure. You might not fully get closure, but what you can do is work to heal yourself, your heart, and your mind, and your spirit because the only person you can change in this situation is you. And uh, yeah, and if you're the one hurting, as much as you would like from it to come to from the significant person who should have did these things or who actually, you know, should have not done certain things that hurt you, and yeah, ultimately, it's up to you. It's left to you. And if you can't get it from that person, it absolutely requires you saying, okay, how do I show up? How do I handle that? That makes a lot of sense. Um, Dr. Pittman, I see you out there, Queen. If you want to jump on, please hit the one, and we'll bring you on early, or we can save you for, um, you know, the, the expected time from 11. I see you out there listening. So, Queen, if you want to come on early, definitely press the one. We're going to go to break. Uh, for the anybody out there listening, if you want to come in, call in, uh, ask some questions to our expert here, Lisa Word. Uh, we got Dr. Katrina Pittman, um, psychotherapist, coming on at the top of the hour. So anybody out there dealing with certain things or have questions for our expert, please give us a call at 646 787 one six nine one. You do have to press one to let us know you want to speak, or you can just share your stories if you like. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at MoneyMotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. So make believe I'm your mother and let it rip. Let it rip. Mom. Yeah. How could you let a man come before your children? Do you realize what that caused inside of me today? He beat you. 
and you knew he did the same thing to us. My resentment is so strong that I have hatred towards you. It's okay. Who wants to say they hate their mother? Give me a pen. Come on. Dig it deep. Tell me why. I hate my mother because... I hate my mother because she abandoned me. Yeah. I hate my mother because she's living in my house. Yeah. And now she only has me to depend on. And I have to do for her what she didn't do for me. I have to do for her what she damn sure didn't do for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want my mother in my house around my children. Yeah. She never told me who my daddy was. She never was. told me who my father was. And I still don't and know. And I still don't know. And what does a little girl feel like when she doesn't even know who her daddy is? Incomplete. What does a grown woman feel like, beloved, when she doesn't know who her daddy is? I don't know who I am. Yeah. And I hate my mother for that. Yeah. Come here. Come here, come here, come here. Come here. You go ahead and cry. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Team, along with special guest, Alisa Word, emotional intelligence coach. We all, Coach, I'm sorry. We also have on Dr. Katrina Pittman. Um, thank you, Queen, for joining us this morning. We definitely love to have your insight anytime you come on the show. So glad to have you back with us, Dr. Pittman. Um, if you will, just give us a quick background so we can get right into that cut because there's a lot from it and we've got a caller that wants to get in too. So thank you, Queen, for being with us this morning. Go ahead, Dr. Pittman. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. I'm Dr. Katrina Pittman. My business is called A Paradigm Shift. I'm a psychotherapist working on mind, body, and spirit and healing in every area. So definitely dealing with the trauma of the abuse of this topic today is exciting. So thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Let's get right into the cut, and we'll start with you, Dr. Pittman, before we get to the um, caller out there. So specifically in that cut, some several things that stood out. But the thing that as, as me and Elisa were just alluding to, Elisa was kind of breaking down how if that unfortunately has been your experience as a young woman with your mother or even an older woman that's still suffering from maybe certain things that did, did not happen with their mother. And Elisa was just talking about that responsibility for the individual to still, in a sense, be the recovery for themselves even if they get, can't get the closure, closure from the mama. What I heard specifically in that cut that sister saying, hey, I was damaged this much by my mother, and now she's out of obligation, sounds like, looking out for her mother. Her mother's actually in her home, and she's having to take care of her mother. That is such a common thing that happens, and I'm going to say in our community, I and mean, it's probably not just our community, but I definitely know it, it's prevalent to where there's damage that came from the parents, but you're raised with this is family, this is your family, that is your mother, and sometimes done to the degree that it can be damaging, and you actually continue to do things that are damaging for you. So your thoughts, Dr. Pittman, as you hear that cut, another one from Ayana Van Zance, Fix Your Life. Go ahead, Queen. Yes, um, I heard what stood out is that she felt incomplete growing up when we have that type of um, relationship with our mom and they let even another adult over us do the same things. 
um, as an adult, as a female, as a woman, and as a future mother possibly, it confuses our roles. And oftentimes we will wind up repeating the same behaviors unless, like Alicia said, get the healing. And if we are left to do that inner healing on our own, it takes conversations raw, just to the point of even Yala having to push her to say those things and even um, supporting her as she verbalized the things that she would say to her mom. It, it caused her to break down. It caused the, the, the woman Yala was working with to break down, but that is the beginning of the healing, to be able to just speak the unspeakable. And like this, that lady said, she doesn't even want her mom in her house because she's so angry and still hurt. And so it does, um, it, it challenges us to have that courageous conversation, even an emotionally charged conversation. If we want to heal, we must first acknowledge the area of pain and go forward. Yeah, I think it's human nature to ignore things that hurt us the most or, you know, like she said, if I were your mother, say these things because it sounds like it's things she never said to her mother, but they are her true feelings. Um, your thoughts, Elisa, then we're going to go to um, a caller. Yeah, it was just, it was heartbreaking um, um, to hear that. And, um, you know, hearing the word hate for me is always a struggle because I, I just, in my personal opinion, um, I wish we could get to a place where we no longer normalize hating people, but hating what people did, right? Um, uh, and, and when we're able to do that and we're able to put the pain on the act and then remove it from the person so we can start to make a difference in the way that we actually channel that energy. Um, but that's just not the way that we currently operate as humans. Um, but, but I, you know, to the point is, is that having her being able to verbalize this, to be able to articulate her feelings, um, that's where the healing is going to start. you got to be able to identify what the feelings are that you have on the inside so you can bring them outside and then you can deal with them. Now, I love that distinction you're making because, you know, in this situation we heard her verbally say that her mother was abused by that man as well. And so uh, we've definitely done plenty of shows on various types of abuse, but it has to be overwhelming when a mother, in a sense, is attached to a man that's abusing her and her feeling helpless and not being able to protect herself, less much her children. And so the two children, like you said earlier, from their viewpoint, it's still the protection still should come from her. And like you said, it's developed to the point where she's willing to say hate. But if we were to a degree, if she was able to put it on, well, clearly there's issues that her mother was having that she couldn't even protect herself. And again, it's not to excuse it, but it definitely changes maybe how you view that person if you put it on what they did. Let's go to the caller. Area code 571, last three, 237. Give us your name. Where you calling from and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, good morning, King. This is Emil. How you doing, brother? Hey, thanks for calling in, brother. Appreciate you. What you got for us this morning, King? Hey, so, you know, you have two esteemed experts and you have listeners who are in the middle of uh, hearing this very difficult and important conversation. But we're missing one giant component. We don't say it out loud and we need to. Um, especially black people in America, we're at war. We've been at war for 400 years. 
The war is ongoing. The war has psychological, social, emotional, spiritual, and physical violence attached to it. If we don't address the fact that we're at war, we'll keep acting like it's up to us personally to fix ourselves in the middle of a war where violence is incredibly continuing and uh, overpowering. Now, I'm not saying that all the work we're trying to do isn't good, but it's not enough. And it's not enough because we have to admit our work has to include defending ourselves from the attacks during this war. It's not generational trauma as if we were born with it. We're born into a traumatizing situation. That trauma is intentional. It handicaps us. And until we start admitting we're at war, we're going to continue the cycle. I'm a child of divorce. Both of my parents came from happy, loving, two-parent homes. How did they end up divorced? How did out of six marriages, <clears throat> four ended up divorced between my mother's father, my mother's family, and my father's family? It's not because we didn't have the love, the support. We're in a war, and that war has effects, and we're dealing with the effects without dealing with the cause. Okay. Um... Dr. Pittman, I'll let you jump on this because um, I'll, I'll, I don't. I mean, well, let me ask you this email real quick because we've got a couple of minutes and maybe we'll get Dr. Pittman's thoughts after the break. So I'll be honest as I listen to you, brother. I don't know how that equates to the unfortunate what an individual is feeling and having to fix this and being specific because, you know, unfortunately, the responsibility at the end of the day does rely with you. Um, and, and so I don't know how that context helps, um, you know, if I can just get it in my own perspective, for, you know, for whatever I may, you know, have to contend with based on what I get, did get from my mother or didn't get from my father. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a very big advocate for collectively, for us collectively seeing things that are in place that breaks up our families, which I think is to a degree what you're alluding to. However, that part doesn't help me once I've had the experience, in my opinion. So your thoughts, we've got about a minute and a half before we got to go to the top of the aisle. I may be able to keep you on, but go ahead and you know, give you a response to that, if you will. For sure. So what I'm trying to get us to articulate is that the work needs to happen, but the work has to have more context than I'm hurt. There is a hurting agent that's not my family that's causing me to react in, trauma, in traumatic ways. So if I get healed... I'm still in war. I'm still having to do other work to protect myself from the traumatizing agents that are around me. So you can have health, but you can't sustain it until you acknowledge that you need more defense than healing from a traumatic individual relationship. I'm saying that the individual work is necessary but insufficient to keep us healthy over time. All right. Um, got about a 45 seconds. Lisa, your thoughts um, when you hear him say that. 45 seconds, then we'll go to break. Top of the hour break. I think that there will be there will continue to be issues that will happen over time. However, I think if you start to do the work, you start to do the work in yourself, you start to break those cycles within your own family, you then have more of a team of allies to be able to go out collectively and fight this war that you're speaking of. But we've got to be able to get our army together. And the army has to start within us in order for us to fight the war. 
All right, thanks for that thoughts. All right, Emil, I'll get you back on out of the break as well. Uh, I want to hear what Dr. Pittman has to say about that. So at the top of the hour, I'm going to actually go to this uh, a poem by Ebony Stewart, and um, we'll, we'll address the poem and then kind of come back to Emil's thoughts, if you will, just to make sure that we're closing out what that brother brought to the table. All right, you're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Luther Vandross on the radio, Johnny Taylor on the radio, Zodico on the radio. 
and heal anything. This is how my mother taught us survival. This is why my mother is also a survivor. My mother keeps the moon in her eyes. So everything is an ocean and I am her sky. I learned the ways of her ways, her ripple, and mimic her sea. And so I pray to God, if I ever have children, my mother is the kind of mother I want to be. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, special guest, Queens of Intellect member, Lisa Word, as well as Dr. Katrina Pittman for this morning's discussion. What about the toxic mother-daughter relationship? I want to start off, um, again, that's a poem by Ebony Stewart called Mother's Day Poem. I want to start off by saying there was a time in my life where hearing that poem, I would have loved everything about that poem. Growing up, the way that I did, all those catchphrases that I've heard my mother say time and time again, damn near all of them from Beethoven. And you heard the crowd clapping and digging up a lot of those comments and things of that nature. And then, and again, I would have loved everything about it. Over the last, and for me as a man in my 40s, I've come to understand that to a degree, I'm going back to a word you used, Alisa, in the beginning of the show, that there's a level of generational trauma that you, you, you that we pass down certain behaviors and certain things that we would just do and repeat because we have this comment that says, hey, I came out all right. I'm thankful to my parents despite certain things. And a lot of those certain things I heard in that poem that I now feel like I'm learning over the years that, some of that stuff wasn't the best, and some of those things actually repeat, quote-unquote, the word toxic things that are not necessarily the best for giving your child a voice, loving your child properly, because a lot of that's missing. And, again, I'm not saying everything in that poem is bad now, but I have learned very different to where that whole poem is not what we think it to be when it comes to raising black children in America. But a lot of that's done, and I'll say this to Emil's point earlier, a lot of that's done based on history and that we came up with this methodology to survive, I'll even use his word, to survive this war. So now I'm saying let's put that on his head. So, Dr. Pittman, if you will, um, do you hear what I'm saying? Do you agree? just want to hear your thoughts, hear Elisa's thoughts, and I'll bring Emil back in after that. Go ahead, Dr. Pittman. Yes, I do hear what you're saying, and I, I agree. Like, listening to Ebony's poem, it was. It was those things that we reflect on, and like, yeah, I remember that. And it was also refreshing to see how she also lifted her mother up and gave her mom accolades. And it's, it just made me think about the perplexed roles of a mother, of a mom. Even back to Emil's point where I think what he was um, what I got from what he was saying was that we need to take a systematic approach, and that would be the part of knowing the root cause of our generational and cultural trauma. And those are like the environmental things or the epigenetic. But when I listened to this poem, it made me sad, of course, because I know that these things have already taken place. And as Ebony speaks, she is a woman 
that it can reflect on it. And that gives me hope because the way she reflected on it and the way she processed it was that she could lift her mom up and even aspire to understand the, the, the complex roles that the mom had, even to the point of when, when she said worrying about the details but never sharing the details. That's the root of a lot of why we respond the way we respond. Mm-hmm. And it made me reflect, it made me remember that the things that override pre, predisposition, genetic predisposition or genetic traits or even epigenetic traits, the things that override that is our mind, our thought, and our perception. So for Ebony, all of those traumatic things happen. And the way she perceived it and processed and thought about it was what empowered her to be lifted up out of that so that, yes, those were traumatic events, but no, it's not PTSD. She was able to overcome the trauma through that, and it just speaks volumes on how our thought and our perception can really shift no matter what happened, no matter what abuse your mind, your thought, your perception has so much power, it can override everything, and it can make you still be grateful, even though you hated what you went through, because the reality of it is some of those things are subconsciously wired, and it takes a lot to break those habits. It's like lost in translation. We do things before we realize it. And so the the goal is to work it and catch it in ourselves so that we don't continue to perpetuate that. But even when we do and catch ourselves in it, that ability to acknowledge and take ownership of what we did in that situation and pour back into our children, our daughters, um, the, the expectation that where we fail and miss the mark on that is not acceptable. At the same breath, I'm trying to teach you, don't take this abuse from someone else. So very powerful. Um, but it just made me remember that your thought and your perceptions, how you process a situation can be the most, monumental determining factor on whether you're able to heal and go forward. Now, a lot of that makes sense. Let's throw this out before I um, have Lisa jump in. And so I appreciate everything you're saying. There's a part of me that still kind of alludes to that, unfortunately, to a degree, and again, I'm glad, you know, like I said, she applauded her mother, but to a degree, have we not as a culture applauded some aspects of things that we're repeating them unknowingly? So she she could unfortunately might not have that check and balance for herself and say, I don't want to repeat that abuse because we actually agree with the abuse culturally to a degree. That's, that's what I'm hearing now with things that I've learned over the last five years. Um, quick thought on that. I definitely want to hear Lisa's thoughts and then we're going to get back to Emil. Yes. And I see what you're saying. Um, we continue to perpetuate that by saying, well, it was okay. I turned out all right. And to that degree, no, that's that's not healthy, and we do it subconsciously, applaud that, still turn around and whip and beat our children, curse at them, name call at them, and thinking that it's making you stronger, um, making you tougher. And, yeah, that, that 
the reality of it is um, we still applaud that, and it does peep into us, even our self-awareness. Do you realize what you're doing? Do we see us in the mirror as we're acting out these things? Yeah, like two like comments like, um, you know, you too you 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 too young to have problems. Like these are the things we had a an amazing show which has been our most listened to show in the past this past quarter, um, parenting skills with Dr. Tiffany King and it just listened a lot of just listening to her realize these repeated cycles we're really leaving the child out. Alisa, your thoughts on that point? Uh, we'll probably go to break before we get to a meal. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's so interesting listening to that and hearing that and hearing different components of things, you know, from my own upbringing or upbringing of other people that I knew. And it's interesting because one of the things about the cleaning the house before you can leave the house on Saturday or whatever, that actually is a rule in, in my house. However, the thing is we all do it together. It's not something where my children are now the maid, right? It's let's go ahead and get this place straight so when we come back in, we don't have the clutter and the other things like that that can cause us to stress when we get back in the house. So there's a reasoning behind that. There's a conversation behind that. And the other thing, too, that we've not even spoken on when it comes to some of this is there is a significant issue in generally speaking with people, but especially even so I see more so um, in communities of color, is that impulse control is a problem. It's a problem because even if you know this, even if you know you shouldn't have said this, you know you shouldn't have done that, that impulse control is a real issue. So people fire off and create these issues and say these things and do these things before they ever even realize what damage they're doing. They don't even know. They're literally just on autopilot because at the end of the day, so many people have so much of a burden on them with so many things that they just don't even have the, the self-awareness, um, to, as, 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 you know, Dr. Pittman was talking about, to even see or know what they're doing because the impulsivity is there. And I love that she also mentioned, mentioned about when she was talking about epigenetics. Epigenetics is huge. And I actually correlate that to even what, what the caller said because when you think about the, the concept of epigenetics, right, and, and how the, the behaviors and, 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 the, and the environment can actually impact the way that your genes actually do function, right? Some of that could be considered to the point of what he was saying about that, that war because there then becomes a war within ourselves because of our external environment, our home environment, and then that actually can change the way that we even process what's happening and our ability to even navigate effectively with our emotions and our ability to connect in relationships. No, I love it. Perfect timing. We're up against the break. We'll let Emil come out of the break because I'm pretty sure he's, if I had to guess, he's feeling a little justified in, in our experts kind of bringing to the table what I didn't understand, uh, but I definitely want to hear his thoughts when we come out of the break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. What's Elfram's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases. And for sales, his no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Elfram Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. 
Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. If you are in the Atlanta area and looking for an amazing real estate agent, please check out my man, Ephraim Abdullah. Uh, thank him for his sponsorship. He is a member of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, and you too, as a listener, can become a member at mentaldialogue.com. So be like Ephraim um, as a member, and if you're looking for a home, that's your man. This morning's discussion question, what about toxic mother-daughter relationships? Special guest, Alisa Word, as well as Dr. Katrina Pittman. Uh, thank both of you queens for being on with me this morning. This morning, we have Emil Bryant on the line. If you want to be like Emil, you have to press 1. If you're listening via the phone number, if you're online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691, and you have to press 1. All right, Brother Emil. Get you back in, you know, get get your thoughts on the three cents and what you've heard our experts say in reference to your, the point that you, in a sense, said we were overlooking. So your thoughts, King. So first of all, mad respect to these queens who are counseling, um, especially the women in our lives who are helping uh, repair this generational trauma because it's a it's a it's a team community effort. Uh, the second thing is, you know what. What we're talking about with toxic mother-daughter relationships is a symptom that we're just now beginning to really understand how pervasive it is. It isn't just that we're broken in our relationships. That's true. But we have to start thinking about these causes more deeply. And as we repair ourselves, what can we do to, to defend ourselves? And now that we're in a place where we can have these really hard discussions, where we can articulate these problems, our mothers and our daughters especially, I am the father of a daughter. I understand that I passed down stuff and I didn't intend to. Um, her mother, who wasn't even born in America, uh, passed down stuff that she didn't intend to. We have the tools now to repair ourselves, but not only repair ourselves, but look ahead and say, what are the factors that are affecting my ability to maintain and build new healthy relationships? And when we start saying that, we can start defending ourselves from these factors more consciously. And that's what we're missing in a lot of our discussions is what are the factors that we need to know to address? It's like building a home in a place where hurricanes happen, but you don't prepare your home after it's been damaged by a hurricane for the next one. we got to make sure we're not building ourselves up as if there's no wind or no storm that's going to come try to tear our house down. Students are doing just that, and I applaud them, and I'm very thankful for this conversation because it's not just toxicity. It's the context of the toxicity mm -hmm. that we address both the individual and the community, and we start being more deliberate about saying, um, and I think Sister Lisa said it best. She said, uh, it's not, or the, I'm sorry, the doctor, she said it's got to it's be the individual as part of a uh, an army. Yes. When we start thinking that way, we start defending ourselves from right. these very toxic environments that we're in. And we start saying, I'm maintaining a healthy relationship in every new relationship. I expect to be attacked by these external environmental factors that I can help navigate consciously and be very much armed to the teeth with my children, with my sisters and brothers, with my mother and father that I'm not just simply reacting anymore. I'm prepared to deal with these toxic environmental factors. Hey, I love it, King. Um, definitely, um, you know, love bringing that home. And thank you for um, tuning in. Definitely, you know, share this show. I don't know if you heard the first 10 minutes. We had some, 
some technical difficulties, so I got to figure out how to edit that so people will get through that. You know what I'm saying? But thank you for sticking with me and listening and calling in. Um, appreciate that. Excellent. Appreciate uh, He said a mouthful, Alisa. Um, uh, definitely said a, a mouthful with everything, and he'll really appreciate what y'all have to say. So thanks again, King. Always a pleasure. So, Dr. Pittman? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, Dr. Pittman, what I wanted to, again, knowing that you do this work specifically with helping people in a sense go through therapy, and myself and Elisa had alluded to that in the first hour of, in a sense, an individual having to take that step or should take the step quite often to get therapy for these unresolved things that, by nature, you would you want to you want to resolve it with your parent. We want to resolve it with your mother if you're this daughter, right? And we talked about the idea of. Unfortunately, a lot of times you won't get that resolution because sometimes based on what the mother has been through, she's actually incapable, not simply that she won't, but she's incapable. And so what I wanted to ask you is if you could, you know, in a sense, share some examples of how maybe some type of toxicity between a mother and daughter, you know, with maybe people that you've seen, how sometimes I think this can happen. It plays out in that individual's life in a way that, you have to make them aware of what you're experiencing within your own relationships is probably a result of what happened, you know, in a sense, with with your mother. Like I remember watching another Yana Van Zant one with um, Lisa Ray, and they were talking about, like, for example, um, Lisa Ray and her mother were, to a degree, were constantly fighting for the attention of the father to the point where they. The mother seemed to resent Lisa because of it, if you will. And so that type of stuff can play out in our own lives, and quite often we don't know that's why we're doing it, if that makes sense. So if you could just even talk about examples of making, a, in a sense, a client recognize that's because your mother didn't do this or your mother did that, and that's probably why you're doing this in your life now, if that makes sense. Yes, thank you. So um, to begin, like we were talking about these, what makes it toxic, and, and identifying some of even the toxic behaviors because we've got to recognize what we're doing. So in the client um, session with me, it would, um, they may share that some of those toxic behaviors was the constant criticism, the controlling behavior, maybe even passive-aggressive things or um, being disrespectful of their personal boundaries, um, guilt tripping and manipulation to them. And so in the in the session, a client themselves may be um, needing to learn how to set boundaries because of those um, disrespect of personal boundaries growing up in that relationship. Now they don't really respect boundaries, not even their own, not others and their own. And sometimes in that session, we can unpack that to help them identify you're dealing, you're expecting them to do these things, and you may take advantage of a friendship relationship um, or even romantic relationship or even your own parent-child relationship and what you see you just take, um, regardless to whether they earned it or um, that they bought it or or it's theirs, if you see that because there's a level of disrespect there, you disrespect them by going and taking their things as a result of that. And a lot of it comes also into helping that client recognize 
because of that, you need to set boundaries, set boundaries for yourself as well as even in that relationship where their mother still is a role and does have a place in their lives and um, have the role in some of the things they do as adults because it's been enmeshed and um, blended in a negative way, you have to set those clear boundaries. Also with those clients, it becomes a, a, a necessary part on working on their self-esteem. That constant criticism may impact them to the point where they have their own self-insecurities. Mm-hmm. They don't truly know their self-worth or their self-value. And so then they are getting involved in friendships, workshops, relationships where they're not advocating for themselves or they don't exercise their voice and speak up from them. And at the root of it, a lot of times it's that parental upbringing. And so addressing those things mean go back to that root and get to helping them identify yeah, you kind of grew up in an environment that may have allowed you to think that that was okay. And in this new season you're in in your life, you're recognizing that, no, that's not okay. How do I change it? Well, the first part is, again, acknowledging it and then setting clear boundaries and doing the inner work. And it still goes back to us because we cannot change anyone else. I may never be able to change my mother. I will always be her child, that's always an adult-child relationship. Mm-hmm. Even when we're both adults, it's authority and submissive, and rarely do we get to have those healthy boundaries without declaring that on, on certain levels we are equal, human to human, we are equal. Even after age 21, we're human to human, we are also adults in this matter, and my voice counts. So working on that self is able to help us with going forward for our own individual healing. Now it makes a lot of sense. Lisa talked about this one aspect, and this is something I think um, a lot of people can experience, which is um, I asked Lisa earlier in her relationship with her own mother because she talked about she feels like, you know, the relationship she has with her daughter, they, in a sense, broke some of that generational trauma, if you will, and I asked her, to, you know, in a, you know, give me an example. And she alluded to making sure her daughter, if you will, always knew that she was loved by verbalizing it because, you know, in her past, that's not something that she got. I'm highlighting that example because here's something that a lot of us experience, I think it, it – it kind of rock, it kind of goes with what you were saying, but a lot of us experience things as young people, and when we're feeling it, our thought is that's not something I will ever do to my child because I hate how it feels to me. The unfortunate reality is psychology plays out that people end up not doing what Elisa did in more cases than not. I always love the person who you know, basically got treated, you know, abused this way or that way, and they actually become great parents because all they're doing is committed to being the opposite of what they got. But that's a rarity. But as a child, when you're experiencing it, as you're getting old enough to put it in context, you're thinking, I'll never do that. Like, for example, abuse. You you see abuse, your mother is abused, or, your, you know, whatever, and you know, sometimes those people end up being abusers. But when they were ch- children and it was happening to their mother, they were saying, I'll never do what 
this man does or this my father does to this mother. Psychologically, it's, a, it's amazing how often we repeat those cycles even though we got tested it as we experienced it. Um, a quick thought on that, Dr. Pittman, and I want to hear Lisa's before we go to the next break. Yeah, um, I'm guilty of that cycle, saying stuff I would never do when my parents did it to me, and then before I realized it, I was doing it. And um, I, I think part of that, like you were saying, with the psychological impact of it, it wired together. So this is my parent that I know loves me, but at the same time, they also are chastising and disciplining me and correcting me in this way, and it comes with a negative impact. But then as a parent, you don't hold a grudge on your child, so you go on to the next thing, and you may honestly verbalize an apology as well as your behavior changes. And so it's the cycle of the love, the discipline, which is negative and abusive, and then the love. So it's wired together and repeated after cycle. So in, the, in, in some aspects, you can look back on it like, yeah, she whipped me a lot, but I needed those whippings. We're justifying, right? And so with me, when I caught myself, with my three children, and it what what really got me was to look in my middle son's face when I was <laughs> acting out in those subconscious rote behaviors, disciplining like I was disciplining everybody I know, and that in the moment caught me, and we had dialogue nice. about it, and he said, "I don't like it when your face looks like that. Can you imagine?" Because I don't see my face mm-hmm. when I'm yelling. I don't like it when your face frowns like that when you're talking to me. Mm-hmm. And it was so powerful that I was able to acknowledge, apologize, take full ownership, and not just that, hold them, ask them to hold me accountable. So I was doing my own accountability work. But if you see mama slipping out of old habit to do that, I need you to quickly call me out. And we do this, and it was it was even like in the beginning, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm waiting on another shoe to drop. And as time continued to go, I would still have to verbalize. I'm like, I'm not that mama anymore. I'm so sorry for what happened. That was, and I call it out. That was traumatic because in the same hands, I don't want you to put your hands on anybody. I don't want you to downgrade and be mean spirited to you. And out of out of this cycle, I own it. I don't make excuses for it, but I own what I did, and I'm so sorry. I wish I could wipe it out of your memory, but I am giving you this tool and this dialogue right now before you even get there to start imprinting and practicing your response right now. So in the midst of that, years down the line, Hopefully, what you are consciously working on and seeing, because I'm modeling that, so I'm extinguishing that old thought, that old pattern, as well as I'm creating a new one. And with that, um, I can tell you it's just been great. And then after this, after being that way, my child telling me, them showing and watching me hold myself accountable, them holding me accountable, the relationship we have now is 
it's the one parents always want. I want my child to be able to come and talk to me and not worry about my response, knowing that if it's bad, they probably will get a consequence, but not so much afraid of me that they don't share. And, and you know, and I, no, I love it. Is, no, I love mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, Queen. Yeah, we're up against the break. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, for anybody out there listening, that's the process. And what I keep hearing from Dr. Pittman as well as Belisa is the allowance of the child to speak, to have a voice, to hold you accountable because part of our trauma has been parents speak, kids don't. And without that voice, they also don't tell us the very important things that we need to know or when they've been hurt, even abused, sometimes sexually. It's so much that doesn't happen because we've not given them a voice. So I love that response on Dr. Pittman. We'll go to the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. It's your family, so you know how you say, like, walk away, right? Yeah. Do you still walk away from your family? or do You, you do if it's necessary. Yeah. There's lots of different ways of walking away. Oh, yeah, you know? like create boundaries. Well, there's that, thing. for sure. There's yeah. that. I mean, you, you, sometimes someone's on an incorrigible path. Yeah. Like, there's just nothing you can do. You know, maybe they're aiming down. Yeah. They're aiming down hard, yeah. and they're bitter, and everything they do is to produce misery, virtually everything. Mm-hmm. And you have to detach yourself from that. It's like I always think about it from the perspective of a lifeguard. So if you're training to be a lifeguard, one of the things that you're trained to do is to approach someone who's drowning and panicking. Mm-hmm. And the way you approach them is you put your foot out between you and them, and you push forward with your hands with your foot out and you basically tell them if they're flailing about you say look i'm here to help but you have to calm down and then if they cling to you like in panic you push them away you think well that's pretty damn cruel because what if they drown it's like yeah what if you both drown that's like not helpful you're you're there to rescue them they take you down you're both dead it's like fail right so you say look quit panicking i'll help you out but i'm not drowning along with you like well it's the same with someone in your family it's like if they're on a downward path and you've done your best you know you've you've made your efforts you've and they're not paying attention they're not changing they say yeah well i'll quit doing this yeah i'll quit doing this they tell you the same story over and over and over it's a downhill path Mm -hmm. you don't trust it at some point first of all you stop offering your words that's do not 
cast pearls before swine. A very, very harsh statement, right? But what it means is, if someone, if you're offering words of wisdom to someone in the genuine attempt to help, and they treat that with contempt, then shut up. Mm. Because you're demeaning your words by throwing them away. Mm. You think, well, how do you help someone who's aiming down? Well, sometimes you help them by walking away and saying, look, you're aiming down so hard that I am, despite the fact you're my brother, man, it's like, you know, this is killing me. You're aiming down so hard, I'm not coming along with you. And the reason I'm not is to tell you in no uncertain terms that what you're doing is so terrible that I will even violate our kinship to oppose it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll take them 10 years to wake up to that, mm-hmm. you know. And so that can be the case because, you know, people often have to be hit so many times before they'll learn. You mm-hmm. see that especially if someone's addicted yeah. or, or, or otherwise pursuing a pathway that's like seriously downhill. Mm-hmm. So... Yep. Yeah, harsh. You, 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 you cover that pretty well in that chapter where yeah. you're saying there's a certain point where you just got to say, nope, we're done. Yeah. We're done. We're done. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guests Elisa Word and Dr. Katrina Pittman. This morning's discussion question, what about the toxic mother-daughter relationship as we hear a cut from Jordan Peterson? Uh, speaking about, in a sense, the idea of unfortunately being sometimes having to be done, which is one of the hardest thoughts ever, especially in our community when you get hit with, this is your mother. And and, and when people are hitting you with that, sometimes the people that are hitting you with that or have supported a lot of the dysfunction that, is, that, have, that has happened to you. And so they're telling you you're incorrect for creating this ultimate boundary because sometimes that has to be the decision. Unfortunately, when it is so toxic that there is no real benefit or you end up like the woman in the first hour, you know, having a mother in the home, although that's the experience. Um, your thoughts, um, Lisa, about that sometimes being the difficult conclusion that has to happen even when it's your mother. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that, that actually, there are times when people um, do have to walk away, um, you know, but I, but I have to, to ask in those situations, are you walking away with your heart and your spirit at peace when you do that? Um, and meaning, can you walk away without allowing the hurt from the situation to follow you? Because see, oftentimes in our quest for forgiveness, we don't, we don't know what that means. We don't understand that three-part process in forgiveness with situations. Sometimes forgiveness is letting go and, and just walking away. Because I can forgive you from across the street, what my grandmother used to always say. Um, and there's, pro- there's, there's a, a process to this thing, you know. And um, sometimes you don't have the ability or the desire to reconcile. But in that forgiveness piece, that's when that hurts is what you got to let go of for yourself, taking your power back. And there's the other piece of reconciliation that sometimes that's not possible. But then there's the other piece of justice, right? Sometimes we want justice. We want people to either feel what they made us feel or to at least acknowledge that and be accountable for that, and you're not always going to get that. So without the justice piece and without the reconciliation piece, there's still that one piece that's left of it if you're going to walk away is you've got to have that forgiveness so that that hurt doesn't follow you. And if not, 
you got you got some more work to do. Nah, it makes a lot of sense. That, oh, go ahead, please go ahead. Now, and, and, and to follow that, you know, a lot of times when we do ask for that forgiveness, we we already know who usually apologizes and who doesn't, right? So we're already prepping our mind for that negative outcome. But sometimes we need to actually prep our minds for what if that outcome is positive because some people don't want people to be sorry for what they did because then at that point it takes mm-hmm. away from the identity of being a person who wants to, who is remaining in, a, in the hurt space. That's very deep. Now, that's very deep as a thought. And and so, Dr. Pittman, if you will, again, sometimes that's the difficult decision that some people don't want to make, some people don't know they need to make, and, again, their own sanity is in making something that can be the most difficult decision. So, in a sense, what have you seen? What has been that process? I don't know if you ever had to walk someone through that unfortunate, you know, decision or, you know, maybe sometimes it's do it now and reconcile some years from now. Get some time to yourself. Quit continuing to fight through it at this time. Walk away for some time. Maybe that's the process for someone who just can't imagine, you know, that, you know, that I have to walk away, if you will. Your thoughts, Queen? Yes. Um, that's a very painful painful decision to make and it's on both ends that the pain is there um sometimes we do like to hold on to the anger um it gives us a sense of power and control over that person um and so it makes it hard to um even do the forgiveness and complete the full process of forgiving um but we also live in this council culture now so it's so quick to be done and dismissed what we don't Mm -hmm. like and what we don't want. So when Alicia is speaking in terms of you got to be able to be at peace with your decision, that is where in the um, therapeutic sessions what we're working on, are you sure this is what you want to do? And at the end of the day, because you can't control anyone else but you, how do you heal from making even that decision of being done? We're done. It's not just what I'm saying to you and me physically keeping my distance. If I'm harboring anger, I said we're done, and so I don't deal with you, but I'm harboring this anger, I can take that anger forward and still be perpetuating the exact same thing we've been talking about, but to a different person because I've, I've in my mind, cut off that parent. I'm no longer entertaining you. And so I like to challenge them with that, um, to say, okay, you're done. And maybe it's done for life, but give grace in the space. Don't be so quick to nail the coffin shut. Mm -hmm. If you're saying we're done and you close that door and you set up your boundaries and then you do that inner work of healing and forgiving, if you are doing your healing and true forgiving, there may be a season years down the line or a situation that comes back and allow allows for a new relationship to develop with those boundaries that you put in if that person, the mother, is willing to acknowledge their behavior in the past and to also state within their boundaries, there could be the platform for a brand-new parent-child relationship. 
But um, I do work in that area of saying we're done, and I still prompt them to challenge what does that mean. Now, I love that part, especially, like you said, in the cancel area. Because, um, yeah, on social media every day we're being reminded, uh, I don't deal with this person or, you know, and, and as you kind of mentioned, starting off with, well, I don't like this behavior, so I'm done with you. I don't deal with anybody that's negative, And we, yeah, we're in a situation where it's always almost to the other extreme where it only takes a little bit to even be dismissive of your family and friends. And like I said, even your mother to a degree can happen. And I love hearing that, that that in this era you're challenging it because, as you said, if it's in a sense from a, a place of anger, or here's what I also heard, um, Dr. Pittman, is you're being done partly because of what you don't want to deal with. It, it's easier mm-hmm. to just be done, which is a totally mm-hmm. different process of what we heard Jordan Peterson talking about, that this person is just mm-hmm. on that path that it doesn't benefit you. That's a whole different animal, but people are mm-hmm. treating dislikes or even lifelong hurt that's not being acknowledged. That can happen, but as you said, when you realize your your parent is human or if you listen to their actual story because they grew up in an era where they didn't share the details, so if you finally ha- get the details, then you become completely understanding of this other human being that hopefully as an adult is giving your, vo- your, your voice now as adult. That's why they're wanting to repair because they are respecting you as an adult. Definitely understandable, understandable when the parent never gives you your voice no matter how old you are. That is going to be difficult. But sometimes, as you said, we're hanging on to the anger or identifying with the anger so much that we won't even allow when the parent does offer an olive branch to say, yes, I'm ready to deal with this because I want to improve our relationship. So that that does that is the flip side of doing it incorrectly, if you will. We are up against the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478 478- 781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. If you have a product or service you want to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, please give me a call. Again, that number is 404 604 
888-646-9477. You could also call me as a Mitch, as we play one of the other commercials for the Making Money Matter Mondays, where I'm uh, fortunate enough to have old Dr. Pittman as we have a the Making Ma- Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health, and Dr. Pittman is our resident therapist for once a month. We do that with Ashley Thomas and the Making Money Matter um, company, where we literally relating mental health and money and how it affects your money. So definitely hit me up to join those every second Monday of the month. And, again, if you have a product or service, please contact me. So I wanted to highlight that. Thank both of my guests, Alisa Word, as well as Dr. Pittman, on this morning's discussion, what about the toxic, what about the toxic mother-daughter relationship? And here's what I thought about as we kind of come to an end here is the first step that I always hear anytime we do these dialogues about things that we experience, whether it's culturally or individually when it comes to things that trauma, that are trauma-related, is the first thing I always hear from you experts is the initial awareness, being aware. And so something that crosses my mind is a lot of people have experienced trauma in this specific situation from their mother, a lot of daughters have, and are unaware that spending your life saying my mother did this to me and sharing with others and repeating that comment over and over if you are doing that, that's probably a, a sign that you've been traumatized. You find comfort in being able to say, hey, I have this issue because my mother did this, or I do this because my mother did that. And you share it with your closest friends, share it with significant others, or, or, or you may have a situation in your relationship that comes up and you share it. And am I, am I right? Alisa, in the sense that if you spend your life repeating this happened to me because of my mother, you're probably experiencing trauma, even though you're not aware of it. You find comfort in repeating it, but you have not got even to the awareness stage. Is that a fair thought, um, Alisa? Absolutely. Um, we we definitely experience trauma reenactments subconsciously um, on a regular basis, and by continuing to say that over and over again, you're identifying yourself with that, and you're actually re-traumatizing yourself by doing it over and over, by continuing to conjure up the pain that goes with the situation that you encountered. Dr. Pittman, you know, yeah, 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 you're unaware. You just keep repeating it. Yeah, in a nutshell, that repetitiveness, again, um, is the trauma reenacting itself and I continue to convince myself that this is my fixed state. And I always say, we can't stay here. If, if that is what happened and your mom does this and you're blaming your mom for all of that, and it's, it's a fact, those things did happen. Your mom did do them, but we cannot stay here. So acknowledging the trauma and wanting to release it, wanting to let go, and that, again, is hard to do because if I don't blame my mom, then what? Because sometimes it's my justification why I continue to act this way. And sometimes it's I'm stuck. I don't know how to I, – I know what happened. I know where it comes from, but I don't know how to go forward. And part of that is our own um, shift 
to blameless problem solving because now it has to be on us to still solve the problem because at the end of the day, we are all we have as an individual to make us want to see it differently. Now, it makes sense. And as I hear you say that, the thing that popped in my head is, and we turn around, if, if we're in that trauma unaware and doing it just that way, then we also turn around and say to people that we say we care about or our friends, we'll say things like, and so you have to accept this about me. Because because we haven't dealt with our own trauma, we tell others and project negative aspects even to people we call friends or saying you can't be my friend if you don't accept that I am this way because we, as y'all said earlier, we've identified so much with what happened to us. It becomes an identity to who we are. And like you said, when when you deal with it incorrectly, sometimes you find power in that anger. And now that's who you become and say, hey, to be my friend, either you accept this or you don't. And completely unaware that you only react in this way because of inner hurt that you are afraid or even sometimes consciously won't deal with, but in a lot of cases it's subconscious. Um, so, um, Alisa, um, again, in reference to that, we are coming to the end. So if you want to just lay out some, you know, some, some final thoughts, please do so at this time. But thank you so much. I uh, definitely think this has been a very in-depth show with, with the rough start we had this morning. But um definitely want to, you know, like I said, edit it and get it shared because I think people need to hear more of what we've discussed today. But thank you so much for bringing your insight to this discussion this morning. Absolutely. Um, I'll just say real quick, you know, we all want to feel powerful. We want to feel empowered. One of the best ways for you to feel empowered is to take control over navigating the journey to healing your own hurt. Don't let the past hold that over you. You get to decide today, right now. Maybe you weren't doing things you wanted to do as a mother, but you can change today. Maybe as a daughter, you didn't see things differently, but you can change that today. Take your power and use it for good or healing within yourself. And when you revert back to those um, behaviors of your family of origin, just remember that that's muscle memory trying to take you to a place that you no longer live. No, I love it. Um, Dr. Pittman, if you will, just some closing thoughts on this matter, maybe even some techniques. So we still have about five minutes, so we've got some time. Um, but maybe even some techniques for, for people who are still struggling with this and obviously, you know, let people know how they can come to you. We definitely are helping out um, some of our members in the community club. And so we definitely appreciate you for your expertise. Highly recommend Dr. Pittman for whatever you may be going through, especially if you're listening to this show, because um, some, maybe some of this hit home today. Um, but, yes, if you will, Queen, just your thoughts as well as maybe some, um, some recommendations for somebody who may be having some of these experiences. Yes, um, it's a journey. The, it's a journey of healing, and a lot, we we want quick fixes, but oftentimes when we realize that we've been dealing with something and so many years unaware that we were even trauma, traumatized, and then once that recognition comes comes into our awareness, how to go from here, where do we go from here, and how to heal. And I just want to say some of the techniques, even like I was sharing with my experience, my personal experience is 
um, having that platform of that dialogue. So once you recognize that you've been traumatized, going back and finding a safe space to speak on that with the person who did that trauma to you, or if you don't have that luxury of doing that, you have to begin that journey within. And it could be like on the earlier clip of using someone else or the empty chair technique where we're speaking to that person as if they were there to purge those emotions. And naturally, as we think of those, the emotions are going to rise and be okay sitting in the emotion of what that feels like so that that can imprint on us just a little enough to make us make a clear direction of what we want to do. How do we want to show up now? And even um, bouncing back to these, these steps in the process of repairing, like with me and my son, um, there are times when I would just, it will come up in my mind of what I used to be. And I will go to them and just say, I was thinking about this, and again, I just want to apologize for my behavior. I want to check in with you. How have I been? That's still holding me accountable to that way, because maybe it transferred. Maybe I don't do it that way, but maybe I still shut them down or do something else that they may feel that they need to um, speak to me about, and so giving that platform to heal that. And if we continue in that cycle and doing that inner work, it makes it more, it, it, it keeps it at our forefront and it keeps us aware of that. And then therapy, and thank you for letting me segue into some of the services I provide there. It really is the core connection of who you are. How do you want to show up? What are those blockers? So what are these limiting beliefs? Because of my upbringing, I had these experiences. And so, uh, you know, I, I get it legitimately. I get it. It's on both sides of my family. So that's just who I am. And wanting to rest there, again, as that comfort or then t um, in, in the therapeutic session, we're going to challenge you to keep going forward because nothing can stay the same. Nothing can stay the same. And we're growing, so we might as well continue to grow as we're living. And so um, having that accountability in those environments where we can unpack it in a safe and know how to heal and take active steps going forward is one of the things that we do in therapy, as well as you may be in a great space, but just recognize you have that trauma. And as you are preparing for your family, may want to get ahead of the game and just unpack those things. And, again, that's a safe space in a therapeutic environment where you can unpack some of those things to make you be ahead of the game and prepared for those um, behaviors or triggers. And, and that way we can extinguish those trauma triggers before they are ever at play. No, I love that, Dr. Pittman. Uh, you know, for the Minnesota Dollar Community Club, we tell people to include um, mental health therapy in advance of getting married. Right? Often we get the spiritual counseling, but we recommend the mental health counseling to prepare for going into the marriage itself and definitely the kids that may come out thereafter. So if you will, real quick, Dr. Pittman, uh, share with them um, how they can stay in contact with you if they want your services, and I want Lisa to do the same thing before we end the show. 
Awesome. So um, old school telephone number is 404-808-3419. The name of my business is A Paradigm Shift, and you can find me on Facebook as well as on Twitter with that. And you can definitely go to my website. It's www.drkpittman.com, and that's dr K-P-I-T-T-M-A-N.com. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elisa. I'm looking forward to taking your emotional intelligence assessment uh, for the Mental Dialogue Mastermind members that may be uh, listening or that are going to be on tomorrow with us as well. But if you will, share with them how they can get that. Because emotional intelligence is a big word that we're hearing a lot of lately that if we master that, we can master a lot of areas in our life. So if somebody wants to stay in contact with you, tell them how to do so, Queen. Absolutely, yes. Um, my phone number also is uh, for my it's, it's, uh, my company, A Word and Company, and my phone number uh, for the business is 678-883-8243. You can also check me out on social media everywhere. My handle is I am Ms. Word, and it's I A M. M-Z-W-O-R-D, and my website is awordandcompany.com. Thank you all very much. Amazing show. All I ask that you think.